Well, good evening. Great to, great to see you. So this evening we're thinking uh, about this subject of serving without sinking. Um, although if it was sinking without serving, that would have been a lot quicker to have prepared for uh, this evening. Um, slightly more depressing, however. Um, just to kind of give you the heads up, we're not, we're not kind of focusing on one passage, so if you're kind of waiting to open your Bible to one passage to look at, we're going to be dotting around all over the place. I'll just put kind of summary phrases or verses up on the screen with headings, um, and, and that will kind of guide us through. Now let me introduce you to some people. Isabella felt resentful. She was already serving in church life in lots of different ways. And now Mike had asked her to help with the cleaning team. Uh, She wanted to say no. She should really say no. But she was worried about what Mike might think of her. And so with reluctance, she said yes. And slowly the resentment grew towards serving in the church. Zachary was bitter. He'd been leading the youth work in the church for decades. But recently it had been suggested that they start planning for the future and start planning for when he would no longer be able to lead the youth work. And bitterly, Zachary thought to himself, don't people understand youth work is all I have? Naomi was jealous. She had overheard Leah thanking Eleanor for the encouragement that Eleanor had given to her after she had lost her job. Why didn't Leah come to me for help? Naomi kept asking herself. I would have been a much better person to come alongside her. Jackson was disappointed and envious. The church had just had the privilege of hearing the testimony from a new believer, and yet it was Isaac's talk that was mentioned in the testimony and not his. Ralph felt indispensable. Whenever he became aware of a person's need, he couldn't stop himself offering to help. Whenever he became aware of a job that needed doing in the church, he couldn't stop himself volunteering for it. How would these needs be met without him? And yet his constant volunteering was burning him out and it was affecting relationships with those closest to him. Autumn felt confused and guilty. The event she had organised hadn't gone very well and she thought that it must be a reflection on her relationship with God. If God loved her, surely the event would have been a success. Ryan felt insecure He thrived on people thanking him for how well he did things in the church. But recently someone new and slightly more gifted had started coming to the church and he felt threatened by them. Ruby felt hurt. Someone else had been considered for a role instead of her and she just felt like giving up. What's the point in serving? Matthew just felt tired. All he did was serve, 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 serve. And he just felt weary and half-hearted and lacking in enthusiasm. Now my guess is, is that when you first became a Christian, serving God was easy. And my guess is that you just loved to serve Jesus. You loved to serve Jesus. What made it so easy to serve Jesus? Well, I suspect it was because instead of being taken up with all that you were doing for him, 
Uh, Rather, you were taken up with all that Jesus had done for you. Um, How he, the suffering servant, had come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you. How he had taken away your sin and your guilt and your shame, and he had borne it himself on the tree. Um, How you'd been forgiven by God because of him. How he'd made you his friend. How he'd become your elder brother. How the father had adopted you into his family. And you felt loved by God with that everlasting love. And you felt that, that enthusiasm to serve him. And you saw all these different ways of serving as grace gifts that God was giving to you to help you express your love to him. And yet if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I suspect that you know what it is to lose some of your enthusiasm to serve Jesus. In fact, as you look back, I suspect that you can identify with at least one or two, if not more, of some of those um, emotions and attitudes in those imaginary examples. In Psalm 100 and verse 2, we're called to serve the Lord with gladness, to serve the Lord with gladness, to work for God with joy, and yet that is not always our experience, is it? And instead of there being joy connected to us serving, there's tiredness or there's jealousy or there's bitterness or there's um, insecurity and all these other negative attitudes and emotions. Now this evening we're going to be thinking about what will help us to serve God with gladness. And it's a massive subject, there's so much that could be said and so we're just going to look at um, a few things uh, this evening. Uh, The plan is to think uh, a little bit about how God calls all Christians to serve and then move on to three pitfalls that you can fall into when serving and then finish with three things that will help us to keep our joy in him. Um, I've got some book recommendations for you. Um, There are five of them. They're all very helpful. Uh, Let me show you what they are. There's Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. That's very helpful. There's the Busy Christian's Guide to Busyness uh, by Tim Chester. Again, very helpful. Uh, There's Staying Fresh, Serving with Joy. I've lost count of the amount of times I've read that, probably five or six. That's very helpful. That's by Paul Mallard. There's Sinking Without... Sinking Without Serving. I've done it. There you go. (laughs) I know who to blame for that. There's Serving Without Sinking. Um, So you can see where I've stolen the title from. Um, This evening is not um, just a a recap of the contents of that book, but that's a very helpful book. That's by John Hindley. And then there's uh, Zeal Without Burnout by Christopher Ash. One or two of those are particularly aimed at Christian leaders or those who are involved in uh, part-time or full-time ministry. But, But every single one of them, they're worth reading. Whoever you are, they give helpful principles, especially if your life is busy with family responsibilities as well as secular work, as well as serving in your spare time in the church. Now, the first thing to say is that all Christians are God's servants, All Christians are God's servants. Everyone in this world is a servant. Everyone is serving something or someone. And and if you are a Christian, you serve God. 
Uh, Not just by doing specific tasks or fulfilling specific responsibilities, but you serve God in terms of your whole life. How did Paul describe the conversion of the Thessalonians? He said that they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So as a Christian, the whole of you is um, about service, um, whole life service. Uh, But of course, within that, there are specific responsibilities and tasks uh, that Jesus gives to us. So you think of the the parable of the talents that we have just read. How does Jesus describe his people in so many of his parables as servants? Uh, in, In fact, in Luke 22, Jesus said that the greatest Christians in the kingdom are the most servant hearted. That's a thought, isn't it? In Romans 12, Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Uh, In the new creation, we will serve God day and night. So, So serving doesn't stop in the life to come. It continues. God created us and saved us, and he calls us to serve. And so maybe you are someone here this evening who actually doesn't serve very much at all, even though you've got the capacity and the time and the energy to serve. And that's something for you to think about this evening. God, he calls us to serve. We are his servants. Now, it's important to re-underline that serving God is much, much broader than just serving in a church context. You serve him in family life, you serve him in your interaction with your neighbors, you serve him in your work life, and so on. Another thing which is really important to acknowledge, and that is that enjoying the area of service that you are involved with is not necessarily the same as serving God with joy. Enjoying the area of ministry that you're involved with is not necessarily the same as serving God with joy. I praise God that serving him is often enjoyable and praise God that God often um, puts us in an area of service that we naturally enjoy. But the very nature of serving, it carries the idea of hard work and difficulties and challenges. So for example, in Acts 20, Now Paul says that he served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound fun to me. And so that means that we need to be really thoughtful when we assess whether we're serving God with joy or not. So so let me give you an example. Let's imagine that you are a youth leader and you absolutely love being involved in the group that you are involved with. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are serving God with joy. It could simply mean that you just like having fun with teenagers. On the flip side... Though you may find an area of ministry very difficult and challenging and even painful, that doesn't mean that you can't serve God with joy in it. You see, when you serve God with joy, the focus is on him. It's on maintaining your joy in him. It's willingly doing it for him and for his glory. 
And this links in with our first pitfall. And that is the tendency to idolatry. Uh, The tendency to idolatry. Every single one of us have this tendency to be drawn to idols. Now I find Luke 10 a very interesting chapter. Um, At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus, he he sends out the 72 disciples uh, with the mission of healing the sick and announcing the kingdom of God. And when they come back, they're, they're so excited and they're, and they're full of joy from the things they've done and the things they've seen. Uh, people, they've been freed from the power of Satan. Uh, lives have been transformed for good. Uh, and yet Jesus said what it says there up on the screen. He says, he says do not rejoice in this. Uh, don't rejoice over the things you've done. Don't even rejoice over the things that you've seen but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, now, why did Jesus say that? Well, it's because our hearts so easily turn things into idols. Our, our hearts are full of mixed motives at the best of times. And, and how easily you can begin serving God in an area of ministry because you love God, and yet you end up loving that area of ministry more than you love God himself. So, so let me share with you a conversation that I had years ago that has deeply impressed itself on me. I, I can't forget it. Uh, there was a church that I knew of um, who had recently encouraged their elderly pastor to retire. Um, he, he didn't want to retire. He didn't feel he should retire. He didn't feel it was time for him to retire. But they felt that he had come to the point where he needed to retire. And uh, so they had a big church meeting about it. And, and I happened to be preaching there a week or so after this had happened. And, and, and with visible bitterness, he, before I preached, he, he took me to one side and he said, they don't know what they've done to me. Preaching has been my life and I've got nothing left to live for. And that conversation shook me. It, it, it's haunted me. Um, At the time, I was really involved in youth work, and I knew deep down that that was where I was starting to see my identity, in youth work rather than Jesus. Youth work had become a bit of an idol in my heart. And and what he said to me was a bit of a wake-up call. Now, he may have just been struggling with the emotion of what had been going on in the last week or so, and and his may be an extreme example, but but idols, even if they are areas of ministry, they never truly satisfy or fulfill. They always leave you weary or disappointed or broken or bitter or jealous or envious or empty or insecure. And so a really important question for us to think about this evening, a question that Jesus was trying to get these disciples to think about here in Luke 10 is, is where is your greatest joy? Where is your greatest joy? Is your greatest joy in how you serve in the church? Or is it simply being in a personal relationship with Jesus, knowing him, being known by him? Where is your greatest joy? Where do you find your identity? 
Is it in your area of service, in your role? Or is it in Jesus? And if for some reason God took away the area of ministry that you love, how would you feel? How would you respond? Disappointed? Sad? A sense of loss? Almost sometimes maybe a bit like a bereavement if it's, you've been serving in that way a long time. Those responses are natural. But, but would you still feel that you had the greatest treasure of all, Jesus? And that actually it had all been about him anyway. So the tendency to idolatry. Uh, second pitfall, uh, the trap of people's praise. The trap of people's praise. Rico Tice was an evangelist. Um, at All Souls Langham Place, and uh, he served during the time of John Stott, a famous Anglican leader. Uh, When John Stott was close to death, uh, Rico went to see him for the last time. And in saying goodbye to John, Rico says that he realized for the very first time that much of his ministry had been motivated by wanting to hear John Stott's well done. And knowing that he would never hear that well done again from John Stott, he asked himself, well, Rico, who are you doing this for? Who are you doing this for? Now, we need encouragement. Um, Encouragers in the Bible are held up as good examples uh, to follow. We each, we appreciate people's encouragement. It helps us to keep going in the faith. It helps us to keep going in the different ways in which we serve the Lord. But, but sometimes there can be this dangerous, subtle shift from just appreciating people's encouragement to craving people's encouragement and looking for people's encouragement. And sometimes saying things to try and prompt people to give you encouragement. And then what happens when they don't? What happens when someone doesn't say thank you after you've done something? What happens when they aren't particularly appreciative or they don't say anything? It just sucks the joy out of what you've done. It makes you feel despondent. Or what happens when their feedback is kind, but actually it's more pointing out areas in which you could improve? Uh, When we start to crave people's praise, uh, we start doing things to be seen by others. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 6. Uh, And when we start to really crave people's appreciation, when someone new and gifted comes along, it makes us feel insecure and threatened. Uh, what, What if the praise that I receive now starts to be given to them? Uh, Ryan struggled with that at the beginning, didn't he? Uh, You remember Isabella. Uh, She she wasn't really looking for people's praise, but she was too worried about what Mike would think about her if she said no to joining the cleaning team. What is the solution to this? Well, here is one. Whilst appreciating people's kind words, we need to keep our eyes on the master. 
We need to keep our eyes on the master. We need to do things for him. Uh, we need to remember what Jesus said to those, uh, the first two servants in the parable of the talents. His well done, good and faithful servant need to mean much more to us than anyone else's well done. And so when no one says thank you to you, which sometimes will happen, uh, you can remind yourself of who you actually did it for in the first place. You did it for Jesus. And Jesus sees, and Jesus knows, and he knows that what we have done is an expression of our love for him, and he treasures it, he loves it, and one day he will tell us audibly, we will be with him, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, and that is to mean much more to us than anyone else's well done. But then there is a third pitfall that I want us to think about. And that is the temptation to try and be Jesus. The temptation to try and be Jesus. Uh, since 1991, a guy called James Joseph has tried to look like Jesus, um, or what he imagines Jesus to, be, to look like. He'll often take himself off to Jerusalem. And he's, he's got long hair, he's got a big beard, he goes around with a long robe, um, he doesn't carry any money on him, and he walks around carrying a Bible and a blanket. Now you might think that that is ridiculous and you distance yourself from that, and yet one of the pitfalls that we can so easily fall into when we are serving is that we try and be Jesus. We try and be Jesus. And what I mean by that is that in our spirit and our attitudes, we try and do what only Jesus can do. We try and meet every need. We try and fix every person. We try and provide every solution. We try and change everyone. We try and save all around us. And of course, in theory, we know that we can't change or save anyone. But actually, in how we operate... Uh, we think we can, we think we're indispensable. Uh, we think that, that God needs us to build the church and it won't happen without us. Uh, but then of course we just get worn out. And because we're so stretched, relationships with those closest to us get frayed. And we get frustrated with the very people that we're trying to help because changing them is so slow or it's not even happening at all. And we get put out when someone else is asked to do something and we're not. And we get spiritually dry because in, because in trying to be Jesus, we're not really looking to Jesus. And the words of John the Baptist in John 1 are so refreshing aren't they? Uh, when John the Baptist was asked who he was, he replied neg negatively, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. I am not the answer. I am not the solution. I am not the Messiah. I am not the saviour that people need. Uh, what was John the Baptist's role? It was to point people to the saviour. It was to point people to the one who could save people and who could transform them. And that's what we need to do. If, if in effect we are pointing people to ourselves, those people will just end up as messed up as we are. 
And if we try and take on the burden of being the Messiah, we will lose all joy in service because our shoulders are not big enough for that. And so this reminds us of the great, great need for prayer. A casting all of our cares for people and all of our roles and all of our responsibilities onto the Lord, for he is the only one who is able to fulfill them. And it's in recognizing that we are not God that we come to uh, the first thing that will help us. And that is having a Sabbath rest. Having a Sabbath rest. Um, in 18, oh, 18, in April 1991, uh, Sir James Brown, who was a senior doctor, um, he wrote this in the Times. We doctors in the treatment of nervous diseases are compelled to provide periods of rest. Some of these periods are, I think, only Sundays in arrears. Now, however you view Sundays, it's, it's very clear that God has created us to rest on at least one day of the week. And, and, and I know that for lots of you, you serve tirelessly on a, on a Sunday. And so that's, that's something that you have to work out. As, as you think through, often people are given two days off from their secular work. Uh, they have to work out how that works for them, how they uh, can kind of bring that together. But, but maybe you're tired in serving. Uh, you, you serve, you serve, you serve, you serve. Maybe, maybe you've lost much of your enthusiasm in serving. Maybe serving has become this kind of drudgery to you. And just a... One question to think about, and that is, are you getting enough rest? Are you getting enough rest? Are you ensuring that you have a break from weekly responsibilities? We're frail and we're fragile and we are dust. And God, he recognizes that. And rest is a gift that God gives to us to refresh us and to help us to stay joyful in him. And God is sovereign. He is still able to continue building the church even when we're not actively serving. And as we think about rest, remember that your salvation does not depend on how much you do. You don't need to prove yourself to God by all the ways in which you serve. You are saved by grace. You are justified by him. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. And when you make sure that you have a weekly break, uh, you're reminded of that. And as we think about a weekly rest, we need to think about a daily rest. So you remember in Psalm 127 and verse 4, Solomon describes the person who in serving the Lord is always getting up early and they're always going to bed late. They're trying to burn the candle at both ends. And Solomon describes it as anxious toil. Anxious toil. They, they can't trust God that he will complete the work. They think that it all depends on them. And God's point is, is, is you need sleep. It doesn't depend on you. You need sleep. 
And then as we think about daily rest, we need to think about periods of rest during the day, mini breaks. God has not designed us to live every waking moment at full throttle. He's designed us to need mini breaks during the day. And one of the things that have happened, I think it's quite relatively recently in terms of society, is that our rest times have just merged with work times. And, and, and part of this is because of technology. So, so you can communicate with people all of the time, whatever you are doing. So when you're having your meal times, when you're going for a walk, when you're having times with the family, when you're watching a program or a film together, um, whatever you are doing, you can be sending emails, you can be reading WhatsApp messages, you can be sending text messages, you can be receiving phone calls. And what's happened is, it's, it's a recent thing, our rest times have just merged with our work times and our serving times, and we're not getting proper rest during the day. Uh, we're not getting mini breaks. And so we're not being refreshed. And we're getting wearier and wearier. Refreshing rests helps us to keep our joy in God. Uh, a second thing which is really helpful is knowing our mission. And knowing your mission. The, the end of Mark 1 is another really fascinating passage. So, so the previous day, Jesus has been healing lots of people. Uh, and then in verse 35, it's the next day, and Jesus, he's got up very early in the morning to go and be alone with the Father and to pray. And the disciples, they search for him everywhere, and eventually they find him. Uh, and they tell him that, that everyone is looking for him. Uh, more people, more people want to be healed by him. And Jesus replied like this. Let us go on to the next town's that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Jesus knew what he'd come for. He'd come to preach. And to stay on mission, Jesus didn't try and meet every need. Jesus didn't heal every person. Jesus knew the difference between the things he could do and the things he should do. Jesus had priorities and he knew what those priorities were. And he knew that if he did all the things he could do, then that would stop him from doing the things that he really should do. Uh, when Mary Madeline left her job in the White House, she said, I finally asked myself, who needs me more? And that's when I realized it's someone else's turn to do this job. I'm indispensable to my kids, but I'm not close to indispensable to the White House. We need to have priorities. And we need to know exactly what those priorities are because we can't do everything. And we need to know the difference between what we can do and what we should do. And so if I was to ask you, what are your three main priorities in life? What would you say? Have you ever thought about that question before? If you could kind of think it all through and kind of 
get it down to a list, what would you say are the three most important things for you in your life to do? it's, It's really helpful to kind of work that through. And then without being kind of too black and white, to kind of use that to ensure that you plan your schedules as well as you can, knowing your limitations. Now, otherwise, the danger is if, if we haven't thought through what it's, it's really, really important to do, if, if we haven't thought that through, we would just end up defaulting to just trying to keep people happy Uh, just trying to meet the next deadline, trying to uh, maybe just agreeing with every opportunity that comes our way or accepting every invitation. Uh, And we just become weary and drained because we're trying to cram in too much. Now now maybe you are someone for whom um, one of the challenges is, is, is not so much that you are so busy and you've got such little time for rest, but actually... Um, you have a huge amount of time for rest and you have lots of spare time on your hands and you have lots of opportunities to meet up with friends and socials and leisure and sport and entertainment and you like to make the most of those opportunities and that means that for you, when it comes to you serving, you're tired and you're unable to serve in the spirit that you like because you're trying to cram too much in. It's, it's good to know your mission. What is your mission? Uh, what are your priorities? Uh, do you know the difference between the things that you can do and the things that you really should do? And are you making choices based on those priorities? And then finally, and perhaps the most important of all, Choose the good portion. I spend time sitting at Jesus' feet. Uh, in the build-up to Mary and Martha in Luke 10, uh, you have lots of people who are busy doing, they are frenetic doing. So you, you have the 72 disciples who are busy doing things for the kingdom of God. You've got another person who wants to know what he can do to inherit eternal life. And then in verse 40, the spotlight shines on Martha and she is frantically doing, she's distracted with much serving. Uh, So much so that she's actually really annoyed with Mary uh, because Mary is not pulling her weight in the kitchen. In fact, she's so annoyed that she's annoyed with Jesus for allowing Mary um, to to not pull her weight. And, and, And Martha actually is quite rude And she rebukes Jesus. She accuses Jesus um, of of, of not caring about how much serving she is having to do. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Serving Jesus is important, but much more important than that is allowing Jesus to serve you. Serving Jesus is important, but much more important than that is allowing Jesus to serve you daily sitting at Jesus' feet. Daily allowing Jesus to serve you by teaching you. 
listening to his voice, reading his word, meditating on it, a drinking deeply from the well of his grace, swimming in the ocean of his mercy, being warmed by the sunshine of the glory of his face, as spending time with him, enjoying his company, being inwardly refreshed and renewed and strengthened by him as you are reminded of who God is, Father and Son and Holy Spirit as you are reminded of who you are, a sinner saved by grace. Love so much that God the Father gave his son for you. Love so much that God the Son came and died for you. Love so much that God the Holy Spirit came and has made his home in your heart. What amazing love that is. Love so much that Jesus wants you to be with him for all eternity, where you'll have the pleasure and the delight and the joy of serving him forever and forever. Uh, Paul Tripp writes this. I am more and more convinced that what gives a ministry its motivations, perseverance, humility, joy, Tenderness, passion, and grace is the devotional life of the one doing the ministry. As you fulfill your responsibilities in life, in family, in work, uh, in church, or wherever, it's, it's as you pursue your joy in Jesus that you are helped to s- serve him with willingness and joy even in areas of ministry that are difficult and are painful and are challenging. Let me read that quote one last time. I am more and more convinced that what gives a ministry its motivations, perseverance, humility, joy, tenderness, passion and grace is the devotional life of the one doing the ministry.